0: Everybody and welcome to this game where with me Ashley and the other one Chris yeah the other one the other guy I don't know why I sounded so excited about the other one I'm not not that much of a fan of what of me not that big into the other one oh, Nice, the other guy mm. that was a film was it the other guys Uh if it guy. was it sounds very it sounds like generic rom-com to me
1: uh, I think it was a Will Ferrell if anything or Ryan, Ryan Reynolds
0: yes with the curly haired guy Maybe um, something. So it was wor- I, I. I think it was Will Ferrell and the curly-haired guy.
1: Yeah, o- obviously, such a massive impact on both our lives that it's... neither of us know. For sh- neither of us know for sure.
0: Mm. It's making me think of another film though. Now, now that is actually good with Russell Crowe and These Minds. With Russell Crowe and no, it's not him. Uh, What's his face from R- Ryan Gosling? Have you seen that film?
1: Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe in a film.
0: Yes, yeah, called The Nice Guys. Have you not seen the Nice Guys? No, I haven't. Well, I think it's on Amazon Prime, yeah. so I would recommend it. It was good. Is that Are we the Nice Guys? No, they're the Nice Guys. Oh, it's got it's got. I've just looked it up. It's got ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow, well. Shane Black. If you if you know Shane Black, no, no, Oh, sorry for you. <laughs> he did he did the first Iron Man for No, was it the first Iron Man did, or the second Iron Man? Might have been the second Iron Man, but he did uh, Lethal Weapon. Okay. No. Yeah. Nobody. I've seen,
1: nothing. I've seen lethal weapon. That was all right.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. And as
1: I'll say, to that, I don't
0: like Iron Man, so kiss, I can't contribute to that. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Did oh yeah, kiss, that's kiss, really bang, good. Bang. That is. That's Shane Black. Hmm. Bad, um, all of his films have Chappy, uh, Christmas in them. Do they? Why? Do you like Christmas? It's just one of his shticks, right? Yeah. Just has Christmas in. I think he did one called Black Christmas or something like that. Uh, John Woo has like, doves, Edgar Wright has Cornetos, probably... and Shane Black has Christmas. Yeah. I should probably check these things before I bang on a bam.
1: Are we doing a game about Christmas today though? Or doves or cornetos? No. No.
0: What are we doing no. today actually? We're doing a game. You don't want to talk about you don't want to talk about Shane Black. That's the impression I'm getting. I'm steering. Uh, let me tell ta- you let me tell you what game uh, we're, doing. we're I've, doing.
1: I've come up from defence. I'm into offence. Oh, I started using a football analogy and then
0: ran out steam partway through because I didn't know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I know what I'm talking about here, Right. Or at least- Mostly. There is actually genuinely stuff I don't know, but we'll get to that. Uh, This week's game is this game where you are a scientist who wakes up on a mysterious alien planet with naught but your wits and a sense of direction, only to find it is inhabited by enormous robot ladies who need your help. Enormous robot ladies? Enormous robot ladies, yeah. Well, no, I mean, grim, for one, but also... No, because mostly they're just disembodied heads, oh. very large disembodied heads, and they're robots.
1: Right. I was, I wasn't implying that I was listening after. that. I was implying that it was quite a, a
0: titillating setup for some. Oh right, okay. Well, that that didn't the nuance of that didn't come across in your grunt. Yeah, and the the hasty backtracking
1: as well. Oh, I wasn't. No, exactly. I wasn't lusting after them. Honest. Uh, I haven't got a clue.
0: I was being ironic. That's that's my get out clause. He worked for Jimmy. Yeah, Dollar, all right. Then whatever. Ricky Gervais. I'm definitely gonna anything, anything. The the giant robot lady or the main giant robot lady. She's actually in the um, she's actually in the main sort of image for this game. Uh, is it something to Metroid? I mean, that's a cheeky guess. It yeah, it is. it's Axiom Verge. Okay, you've been raving about this, so you you want to t- tell me why? Rightly so. I I actually tried. Only last week I tried to get you to buy this game, so that we could talk about it properly for this episode. We, I tried to do that without telling you why, but that didn't work out because you don't listen. So, <laughs> like an unruly. You know what? can child. I do? I couldn't have done more. I think I texted you about ten times. I think I asked you actually last week. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult working with you. Guess what I'll say. I, I would apologize for letting you
1: down, but I think if I started doing that, I'd have to do it quite a lot, so I'm not going to. I
0: I don't. I also don't think that it would be very earnest. I, do, I don't think you care. I really don't think you care. So well, if that's, there you go. if that's the
1: inference you've got from, from
0: Well, that. let's uh, let's back away from the passive-aggressive yeah. uh, hashing out of our relationship and and come back to <laughs> a- Axiom Verge, which is genuinely well worth talking about. It's It was a complete surprise to me, this game. I bought it. Um, on sale which i feel a little bit naughty about i know that i i'm a bit of an evangelist for uh cheap gaming but this feels like it deserves its full price tag to be honest and i i kind of wish i'd played it uh, i paid it
1: you're also an Um, evangelist for paying full price because then the developer or developers get more
0: money as well so you're you're, you're quite a
1: a strange position aren't you on the fence with that not
0: not really i think that the game that off on a tangent again the hobby requires prudence a bit of prudence exactly yeah and i think you have to fight you have to strike the balance between frugality and generosity yeah. and and you have to find where you give your generosity and i think for me it's it's circumstances like this a game that, that uh, basically independent games that that are outstanding or not even outstanding basically give your money to the people that are doing interesting things so that they can carry on doing interesting things. That's, that's I think, where it lies. So if you're looking at a choice between like a big big A that's going to sell millions and millions and millions of copies and a small indie that costs a third of the price maybe even, and that's full price, then you're better off paying the full price for that third of a price game so that they can carry on doing things. You never know what's going to come out of an indie developer in the future, and you're paying them £13 for... whatever they've got out now that will enable them to do those interesting things in the future yeah
1: i could be agree with that although i do also wait for games to be on sale so uh there
0: you go i don't that's not a bad thing that's not a bad thing it's an expensive hobby yeah that's the thing it's it's an expensive hobby it's an expensive interest and you can't and i don't think the industry expects you to pay full price for everything just what i would suggest is thinking about where you do and where you don't spend your money it's that idea you said about
1: supporting the the little guy as opposed to the big titles, which, you know, we're not saying don't support the big titles, but it's, it's, it's like, I don't know, Amazon versus a, a little corner
0: shop, isn't it? It kind of, it kind of is that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So if you think about the way people think about Amazon and how they spend their money there, then that's what I'm sort of trying to suggest with, with this. Yeah. So this is the little corner shop uh, game. What, who, who is it? It kind of is. Yeah. Who, so who, who made this? And this is one of the reasons that I'm so impressed and blown away by Axiom Verge. Because this is another one-man band affair. Really? This was made. Yeah. Wow. Between... It, it started development... The game st- uh, went into development in 2010 and uh, was released in 2015. And it was made by a man called Tom Happ in his spare time. He was a developer for... Well, for various different companies. He's worked on um, a number of fairly big... Fa- fairly big franchises. One of one of them that I can remember off the top of my head was NFL Street. Alright. You no, know I've done. I've cl- I've closed my page that I had open on him so that I could search for bloody Shane Black. <laughs> I'm just gonna get I'm just gonna get my uh me Moby Games page up again. Is this Tom Hap, Happ H A P P That's correct. Are you aware of him? Do you know him? No, I just thought it sounded like Happy and that made me happy. Happy chappy. Oh, yeah, I mean that's a nice way of thinking about his name. Um he worked on the first game, at least in terms of his uh, Moby Games credits, was Crash Nitro Kart. Um, he's worked on NFL Street 3. Uh, so the third in the... Go on. It
1: was Crash Nitro Kart. That was the sequel to Crash Team Racing. Yeah.
0: You yes, ever, it was. Do you to yeah. play it?
1: The, the the sequel. I haven't the played one. that
0: one, unfortunately. No, I've played the first one.
1: Yeah, I absolutely adored the first game uh, back on PlayStation, uh, but I never played the second one. Um, I think it was fairly no, well-received, though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. Tom Hatt worked on it. There you go, in two thousand and three. Uh, NFL Street three, Tiger Woods PGA Tour 08, two thousand and seven. Um Guardians of Graxia in two thousand and ten. And then after that, nothing until two thousand fifteen. Axiom Verge comes out in two thousand and fifteen. Were these games so presumably he was
1: Were these games all for the same company or different was he a bit of a job jobbing nope, nope. developer?
0: Yeah, he's uh, Ubisoft EA uh, right. Global Star Software Universal. Oh, so, so, as you said,
1: a one-man band's just kind of dipping in as and when. Not fair play to him.
0: Well, presumably trying to build his career yeah, in the yeah. industry, go, moving moving between companies, trying to sort of climb that greasy <clears throat> pole, uh, and then realised that he could do something for himself and wanted to do some, something for himself, um, and stepped out and made Axiom Verge, which is, as I, as I keep saying, really, really good. Like, it, it is on every level it is so good um he did everything for it so everything that you see and hear in the game is made by wow. him and I, that always always like it, it probably impresses me far more than it i was gonna say far more than it should but actually i don't know because the thing that impresses me about it is that you have to have a visual you have to have an eye for the the visuals so you have to have an artistic eye you have to have an artistic gear for the music you have to have an understanding of the music in order to, because I've I've messed around on um, fruity Fruit Loop and things like that. LMMS, uh, I've messed around trying to put together melodies. In fact, one of the things that I tried to do was make us a theme tune, and I've ended up getting a much better theme tune uh, for the podcast from Stevia Sphere on Bandcamp. If you haven't, if you, if you like our music, that's where it comes from. I'll Have a little look for him. I I do actually like his music. It's nice nice chiptune type stuff. Um, Tom Happ has that as well. So he he has the understanding, he has the technical know-how to build a game. He has the artistic eye to be able to put together excellent graphics and excellent animations. He has the artistic ear to be able to uh, create melodies and and full-blown musical affairs. And not just full-blown songs, but the variety of music in this game. Is impressive as well, and I mean they're super catchy. I've got the soundtrack ready for you to listen to, but oh, great. It's, I mean you're going to have it's going to take too much time to listen to the whole thing. But I'm going to send you the link, and I don't know whether this starts where I want you to be, but I, I can tell you where you want to where you want to be. So, well, you're just f- going to have a moment, and you're going to listen to a couple of songs.
1: Why are you fuss about doing that? Then I'll just echo what you've just said. That absolutely blows my mind that that one person. It, when you think about a game, and again, I'm probably preaching to the choir that people listening to podcasts are probably aware of this, but, you know, you think about all the skills that go into making a game, it's the design, it's the art, it's the music, it's the gameplay, it's the QA side of it as well, everything is, it mm. is, and then for one person to do all that themselves is absolutely phenomenal, it really is.
0: Yeah, it's it's polymath to the nth degree, it's, it's everything's so taxing as well, so the development side of it is taxing. The art side is taxing. The music side is taxing. I, I, there was a really good breakdown um, a few years ago. I can't remember who did it, but I'll try and find it for you. There was a really good breakdown of what it takes to build a door in a, in a game. And all of the people they listed in this article, they listed all of the people that would be involved in building a door in in any in a 3d environment i mean i'm not going to try and li- i'm not going to try and list all of them but there were tens and tens and tens of people all involved in making this door work and look good and sound good um and this guy has done he's done all of that himself uh, and he's done a very good job of it
1: a similar sort of thing to that really is there's a um i think he's based in new york a journalist that i really like called aj jacobs who does lots of wacky dave gorman-esque type things like he, he did a book called the year of living biblically where he tried to live as it is in the bible and, and all this and, and he just he did a bit dave like i say dave gorman and um i, I really like him uh, he did a book a couple of years ago um uh, i think it's called thanks a million and it was about a, a cup of starbucks-esque coffee or other brand available And all the people that go into that, so the the coffee farmers, the people that transport the coffee beans, the people who designed the cup, the people who made the cup, the people who designed the lids, and all, and all it was this journey that he went on all around the world just to find all these different people to say thank you to them. And it was absolutely fascinating because it made me realise, again, this unspoken kind of thing, you know, there are so many people that go into that cup of coffee that you get from the supermarket or petrol station in the morning.
0: Yeah, there was, I, (laughs) I mean, like, tangents galore this episode um there's another writer called rose george who does a similar sort of genre i suppose and one of her books is called deep sea and foreign going which is it's all about uh, the ship it sounds it sounds dry as hell um and i actually i remember who where i got this recommendation from it's from phil wang he was on radio four talking about it which maybe doesn't sound make it sound less dry because it's on radio four but it was phil wang Phil Wang, comedian. Um he was talking about how phenomenal was it. it, Philly Philly Wang Wang. He he was saying about how deep sea and foreign going breaks down like the journey of a container ship and Rose George goes and spends time living with the crew on a container um on a container ship and shows how it all works. She's got another one all about sewage as well, like doing (laughs) a poo. And she apparently, again, I haven't read it yet, but she apparently she makes sewage and sewer systems sound intriguing and and like the most interesting thing ever well, so we, we all make yeah, sewage it's a genre in itself exactly exactly we all do poop
1: poops right. right let's pause the conversation there so i can listen to this music then
0: yeah so you just listened to a few of the tracks from the soundtrack what do you think i uh, divorced from the game
1: yeah, really good music, very atmospheric, and I was reading through the comments while listening to a couple of pieces that you particularly recommended. Uh, someone said in the comments that it reminded them of a cross between Blade Runner and The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails, and I think that for for me is pretty much on the money. Uh, it's mm. the, the use of distorted bass and leaps and drum loops and things was was very nice yeah. which I really like 19 L's, so that was uh, a good a good reference point point for people listening that maybe haven't gone to see that out of themselves um if you're into 19 or that sort of music I would recommend giving this a listen all that, and again, all that sort of music yeah all that sort of music and again going back to the point we talked about before we had that little pause to discuss it the fact that one person has made this
0: yeah exactly the touchstone for me was Drive the Drive soundtrack which yep. um I think there's an element. That there are similarities there, but at the same time, talking about all these reference points, yes, I think they probably come into play in some way. But they are this soundtrack is just its own thing, it, and it's so good. To, at least as far as I'm concerned, it's so good. You've listened to it divorced from the game. I think when you actually implement it, when you when you apply it to the game and the the, you, it already sounds atmospheric, isolated on its own. It, it then. It then brings that to the game, and and these these environments come alive in a way that they wouldn't if the if the music was less less than it actually is. I I was just reading through my notes as I often do because I I write things down to try and crystallise my my thoughts on uh, and, and what I want to say, and sometimes I just think I should have read that out because what I've said is I'd like to pick out one area that is outstanding, but I really can't because they all are. It looks gorgeous, sounds gorgeous, controls wonderfully. Everything about the game is just so well realized. And I can't believe I slept on it for so long. That really is the feeling that, that I have about it. And and last last time we'll say this, I think, I because uh, I don't want to bang on about it. The fact that it was done by one man. I just can't believe. I can't believe that there's anyone so talented. The other thing, just to, before we move on from that... This came out in 2015, less than a year before Stardew Valley came out. That was another one-man band, Eric Barone, mm-hmm. and I don't know. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this uh, about Axiom Verge is because I I don't know what its sales are like, um, and I, I'm not I'm not kidding myself that this is, that our podcast is suddenly going to help it to rocket up the sales charts or anything, but I know that. You know, Eric Barone ended up being a millionaire within a few weeks of Stardew Valley coming out. This, this is a similar situation where there's just this phenomenal phenomenal production made by a single person in his in his uh, well, I, I was going to say in his bedroom to romanticise it, but uh, m- made over the course of a few years launched within a few months of, of Stardew Valley and deserves just as much accolade as, as Stardew Valley for different reasons. So I just wanted to say that mm-hmm. before we before we moved on, so the story, at least, there are going to be spoilers um, in this episode for anyone that is listening. So if you don't want, if you if you've heard enough, if I've if I if I've told you enough to get your juices flowing that you want to go get it, I would go get it. it. I I think it's the perfect switch game. It works just as well on a small screen as it does on a big. Um, so that's where I've got it. Could we say uh, that if we? But it's uh, available everywhere. If we've given you the urge, for Axiom Verge. you can if you like. I do but- like okay good I I kind of like so fine we'll leave it in um <laughs> it'll make the cut. if you want to go if you want to go get it I, I it honestly doesn't matter where you play it because it's just it's available everywhere and it is phenomenal it, it stands up on its own two feet so play PC PlayStation switch doesn't really matter um we are now going to talk about the game in some specifics so this is the point to go and play it if, uh, and and bang out and then come back after after at the same time, I've only played so much of it, and I have gone to great pains not to spoil this game for myself, so we are only going to be talking about the first few hours of, of this, and that was enough to impress me mm-hmm. to this extent, and I'm going to try and outline why that happened.
1: Before we talk about the game, the story, we've not talked about the genre, it's a Metroidvania, is that right?
0: Yeah, I I, I actually was going to ask you, Um, this is a good time I suppose, to, how did you come to the conclusion that it was some kind of metroid-esque or metroid related thing because you asked me is it something to do with metroid
1: when you said about landing on a planet uh, the the atmosphere and it was you said about exploring with nothing but your, your wits and armor something like or naught but your wits so i think you said Set
0: sense of direction that was yeah. it
1: that made me think of when we did metroid 2 that that yeah. idea of landing okay. on a planet and being very isolated and trying to forage your own way through
0: mm. oh i'm glad that came across good Good, good, good. Right. Yeah. So Metroidvania. So Metroidvanias are
1: games that require you to do a lot of exploring, backtracking, using your abilities to get through areas and gain new abilities to then go back to areas that you couldn't previously get to. I think. I did, yeah. I think I I'd say that's. That.
0: Uh, I I think I agree. Yeah. Uh, yes. They're they're exploratory. They're exploratory games with a lot of item focused, yeah. with a lot of pickups. Exploring,
1: bit of fighting, more about the abilities side of it as well. Bit, bit of- yeah.
0: So it's con- and that'll that'll become contextualized in describing this. But for um, say Metroid, which is where you know one of the places the genre name comes from. For Metroid, you start off with very little except for your pow pow gun, and then over the course of the game, you might get an ice beam. Uh, that can freeze enemies you might get you get your little uh bomb ability so that you can lay bombs um sometimes uh, some of the games you have what's called the web ball which allows you to climb up the side of walls and on, and stick to ceilings and things like that I remember and, it well uh, and I as you too. good as you gather those uh those different types of equipment it gives you access to new areas because that you weren't able to get to before and so you can backtrack and go and explore those areas that you and and that 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 incidentally is one of the things that i really enjoy about a metroid game or or a metroidvania that you can sort of clock oh hang on there's a bit yep I can't get there now but presumably i'll be able to get there later yep. and then you you'll get and that actually happened in in axiom verge there's a there's a an accessory and a utility called the field disruptor and that actually it's a posh name for a double jump okay um so you not even a double jump just a very much higher jump like an anti-grav jump or something like that and i i was able to go get a few more bits that i'd already clocked that's too high for me and so on um the story so far and this is just this is a very brief outline of where i've got to so that uh, you're a scientist um i think his name's is it. what was the what was the name of some of those cat uh tracks trace his name's trace you are a scientist who wakes up on this alien planet uh, you are you wander about you find a weapon uh, you find another weapon and then you accidentally wander into the domain of a giant hideous monster um that's got like clear weak spots on it you know that you might shoot um and they're flashing red take advantage of those they they do start to flash red yeah. um he starts he starts talking about something called a Thetos which I genuinely don't know exactly what that is yet a thetos like Athens, but with TOS on the end on Thank the end you. instead of NS. Um, Athetos, uh then attacks you. You kill him. Go a bit further. You find a big floaty face robot lady who says that she needs your help to stay alive. And that is the that is the gist of of what's going on.
1: So I'm guessing you then help her and then go to another area. Similar sorts of cycle of exploring, shooting, killing a boss, and then there's another. You said about the lady robots at the start.
0: Yeah. So there is. I found so far. I found two lady robots. One of them needed me to f- turn on some kind of uh, filtration system, and I've I've actually managed to find that. But before I before I turned that on, I actually found the second giant lady, and she was she was completely inert, like she'd been shut down. And she needs you to find uh, the the first giant lady through telepa- telepathy. Telepathy. She tells you that this lady needs a different type of help, and you have to go find some other bits right. of that that giant lady. So that's um, your
1: that's your exploration side of it. That's the the funnel is that you are doing the things in order to help these robots, and they're the things, the structure of the game, the spine of it.
0: Yeah, I think so. But even without those, just there's just this nature of it being this uh, exploration, Lo- lots of different um, lots of different environments tethered together mm-hmm. by uh, doors. Just the fact that they're so vari- varied and they've got such interesting flora and fauna in them uh, is enough to to spur me to want to explore anyway but these giant ladies are your impetus they're the they're the drive for the character at least um so that's the story i mean it's it it, the way i've put it it probably sounds quite light but in it it sounds quite light on story Uh, i would argue that it doesn't necessarily need much more than that anyway but i think the way that it's presented the way that it's been written because that's the other thing he did he wrote all of this um the the writing's good Uh, The fact that you're a scientist, you're not a warrior, you're not a Metroid-style Samus Aaron in a body, in a battle suit, you're a scientist, and the scientist, when he comes up in his little dialogue boxes, he's got big lamb-chop sideburns, so it kind of makes it feel like he's a a scientist from the 70s or something like that.
1: As someone who used to rock big sideburns like that, I find that highly
0: offensive. Hey, I I think we've all done it, and we've got to (laughs) own up to our mistakes, that's what I would say, so, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm, I'm... Part of the brethren, the brethren. Yeah, I, I like that the, the like Id- half a beard, the idea
1: of the underdog character. That's always a, a nice one to, mm. to latch on to. Although an underdog who oh happens to find two guns lying about, but uh, there you go.
0: Yeah, exactly. He is he is very well. He is very he is very capable with his weapons that he finds quite quickly. Uh, the weapons the 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 pickups seem to be at least as far as I've discovered. They seem to be uh, two car uh, two. Two types. Uh, there are the weapons and then there are utilities. So, the weapons that I found so far are the Disruptor, which is a shooty, shooty space laser type thing, just a, a standard laser. Uh, the Nova, which is a shooty laser, big pink shooty laser, but then you press the shoot button again and it fragments in, into eight little bombs that go out in eight directions. Okay. Then, you've got the Multi Disruptor, and that's your standard triple shooty shooty space laser three bullets at once and then you've got the kilver, and the kilver is perhaps where i started to go oh this is uh this is a little bit different because that's like an electric pulse that only reaches out in a sort of circle directly in front of you so it's almost like your shotgun type weapon okay it doesn't have very much range, but it's quite powerful, I think, and it's also quite useful. So it's almost like a utility at the same time as being a weapon. Then the utility side. The first utility I found was a laser drill, which feels quite standard. You can drill through weak rocks. So if you drill it and it turns red, it's it, you know that you can get through. You can find secret spaces to to um, to explore. The next one though is where this this is the moment that I went ah. This game's a bit more than I expected and it you get it after you fight I think the second boss so you've you've played it for an hour or two so far you get the second boss you kill the second boss and you get what's called the address disruptor address 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 like the address right not a your address, address. home address no no the address disrup- disruptor the the name for it prior to release was the glitch ray so the uh before it released when he was talking to the community about what was going in the new the the different mechanics that were going in um thomas hap or tom hap was re- referring to this as the glitch ray and that is what it is because this ray you turn it on it's, it's got unlimited everything's got unlimited ammo at least as far as i've found so far this glitch ray you turn it on and it it corrupts things. It glitches things out and that can be sometimes that can be um, parts of the environment. So there was an area where there are lots of bubbles that rise and you can pop the bubbles by shooting them. But if you, gl- you glitch ray them, if you use the address disruptor on them um, they turn into they glitch out and it, it's represented. You know like if you found a graphical glitch in a NES game um, and it's all like weird colours and boxes blocky bits like cur- you know what i mean yeah
1: like curly things and straight things and they're they're, they're clearly not supposed to be where they are
0: yeah exactly it looks wrong yeah so that kind of thing if you if you've played pokemon red or blue the missing mm-hmm. note type tiles um that that's represented by um you you can turn these bubbles into these blocks that are that are gri- glitchy and And broken corrupted and then those blocks rise they still rise like the bubbles but now you can stand on them exactly right so you are you are able to manipulate certain elements of the environment to be able to use them to your advantage you can also do that this is where my brain went really went oh my god like this because you can change the you can change the enemies okay so as an example Or or the first example I found, there's this little green enemy that flies up and down in a straight line uh, um, on the screen. And if you shoot that, it explodes. And if you're next to it, it will will hurt you. But if there's an enemy next to it, it will hurt the enemy. If you glitch out one of those, and there are more in the general area uh, that you're in. If you glitch out one of those green things, and there are more of those green things in that same area... It won't just affect that one. It will glitch out all of those in the same area. And then when you kill one of them, they all explode. So it chains them together. Yeah, it chains them together. And and what you do to one affects them all. So that's one example of how you can glitch out an enemy. There's a second enemy that is like this pulsing, fleshy, red heart type hive that spits out these pink fly things that then attack you. If you glitch out the hive itself, the hive instead of put uh, instead of punting out these pink things, it will punt out health. Oh, nice! So again, yeah, you think it, a thing that's there to attack you, you can actually use to your advantage. There are other things that you can change that you can change all sorts of enemies. Like there are lots of enemies that you can glitch out, and then they they change the way they behave. Uh, oh, uh, there's another one. One of them, it's like a scorpion's sort of enemy that moves quite quickly backwards and forwards and shoots out a triple laser beam type thing. So three bullets at once and, and they come down at an angle. If you disrupt that, if you use the glitch ray on that, it changes it so that it's a tiny little bullet that goes in a straight line that you can actually duck under. So that makes it easier to kill. Mm-hmm. The list is endless and it makes the game, it makes the enemies, it makes engaging with the enemies a lot more, um, a lot more difficult. A lot deeper. So the,
1: the the too long didn't read is that this glitch ray it t- t- changes the game. It turns on its head and makes everything you've done up to that point um, different and varied.
0: Yeah, exactly yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. and and it, it can change engaging with enemies kind of into a, a minor puzzle so there was an area where there were very very deep chasms they they weren't deadly chasms you could drop into them but in these chasms were these weird little pink jellyfish and they shot projectiles upwards and you were trying to climb over these caverns uh, jump over these chasms so if you but if you stood to the side of these chasms and you shot your disruptor ray through the wall, Into uh, uh, to to get to these jellyfish, it rendered them harmless. They couldn't shoot their projectiles because they get corrupted. They can't shoot the projectiles, which means that jumping over these chasms becomes a lot easier. But if you don't think to do that, then you have to navigate both the chasms and the projectiles. So that's one example of how it can work.
1: I really like the fact as well that this weapon utility, whatever you call it, you get this two hours into the game. So then at that point, you're then thinking, right, I've gone through this much of the game so far. I wonder if I go back and use this weapon, utility, what will happen? And that we mm. we've talked before a few times about the idea of the, in a good way, the, the rug being pulled out from under your feet and, and changing yeah. what's happening. And that seems to
0: me that this is what Axiom Verge is doing with that Tool. it absolutely is it's a perfect example of that it gives you those couple of hours to go oh this is a bloody good metroid game this is a really well polished nes style metroid game i really like this on those merits it lets you it lets you get comfortable with that idea and then goes oh by the way this isn't actually what you think it is this is it is this it changes things just enough to take your impression of it and and sort of amplify it by, at least for me, by about 10. Hmm. This was the moment that I realized that the game was more than it had made itself out to be. It wasn't the last one, but I will come to that. That will probably be the last thing that we talk about. Okay. Um, Utilities-wise, the, the other utilities that I've found since then, so I've got the laser drill, I've got the address disruptor. The next one that I found was a lab coat. Right. Yeah. Well, I you pick up this lab coat and it's like, oh, it's a lab coat. Oh, hang on, it's got all these uh, wires and things on the inside. Ah, been, okay. Uh, it's been changed, and the lab coat allows you to the lab coat allows you to move through walls. So, of course, it You does. can use the glitch. Glitch. Yeah. It's it's all presented in this glitchy graphical style. Right, so okay. you can glitch your way. The idea is you can glitch your way through a wall. It's it's the sort of thing speedrunners would do. <laughs> uh, in games that you're not supposed to be able to yeah. do it, and I think that's the idea behind it. Almost like a um, and it, a homage to that, I guess. It absolutely, yeah. The whole game, I think, is a homage. It's a homage to the NES era of games, and the glitches, the the graphics are NES style, but so so well polished, and the glitches are all represented by in ways that you would be familiar with if you'd if you'd ever played a NES game that that was prone to that it's almost like and the, the lab coat is a perfect example of that
1: it almost sounds like it's the way it's presented in science you said it's in this NES style it, it's almost like it's mm. a, it's uh, I don't know it's, it's a bit highfalutin like a, a, a cursed NES game or something or an undiscovered NES game from back in the, the 80s
0: that's a very good way to think about it yeah uh, there are these areas that you you can uncover like secret areas that you uncover and when you go into there the Gray the graphics the whole screen becomes degraded and it's almost like you're playing on a CRT monitor or, or CRT TV oh. and then you've got the graphical corruption but you also have I don't know this is a very well known thing with the NES I, and it's very evident in Super Mario Brothers but if you scroll the screen the way that the NES program the the way that NES games are often programmed is that the like mo the right hand most set of block of of uh, graphics. Is actually the left hand, the last set of uh, graphics are on the left hand side or something like that? Have you ever seen that effect?
1: No, it it sounds like the the whole Flintstones thing where the, when they're going along and it's the same background looping. Is that
0: the sort of thing you mean? I it not really no, oh, okay. but I can see why. That's because I've misdescribed misdescribed it. But it, you're best off looking if you watch a Super Mario if you watch Super Mario Brothers if you play Super Mario Brothers you watch the side of the screen. You'll see that the uh, latter, the, just the very end of the screen doesn't necessarily quite match up right. to what is what the rest of the screen is showing. And it's because of the way that it dealt with these they used to break down the screen into sections in order to load it in uh, load the game in. And this, this slither of the screen on the right hand side um, if you were moving in the right hand direction, that would always represent that would always present something that was not quite right um, and I can't remember whether it was like the last bit that's just left the screen would turn up on the right oh, okay. side uh, or, or whether it's like the next block along. But it,
1: and anyway, a- it made axiom, this weird effect. Axiom Verge is leading into that basically, this this whole
0: idea yes, of it that. Is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it actually does that. So it has that effect. It, it uses that effect to create this weird stilted graphical presentation that makes you feel like you're in a an 80s NES game.
1: I make sure you're in a creepypasta story about uh oh I found this NES game.
0: Yeah. Side side story. I um found someone had tried to get rid of a SNES and a mega drive boxed. Uh, they'd taken them to the tip. It was in Lincoln and I'd taken some things some other things to the tip. Um and I'd seen these this Mega Drive and this SNES and I didn't know that you weren't allowed to take things from the tip. And I was no, like, fucking not. hell why why would anybody P- throw away a mega drive and a set and let me just say this let me just preface what happens next with the fact that i'd taken a poker set a fully a, a fully kitted out poker set in a nice box i'd taken that to tip but i'd taken it to one of the men and said yeah i don't know if any of you could use this but it's it's like a fully kitted out set could you go so no to a charity shop if it, it was if it was it. I could have done. I could have done, but it only occurred to me that someone might want it when I was about to throw it away. So I gave it to this guy. and He was like, "Yeah, we'll be able to get, we'll be able to use that. Oh, that's great. Thanks ever so much." Then I saw this Mega Drive and Snes, and I took it out of the. It was in the back of a a van. I don't know why. Uh, and I was like, "Fuck out! Why would anybody throw that away? I'll take it home. I'll I'll give it a home." I took them out of the back of the van. I was walking to my car, all jolly, and then someone shouted at me across the across the uh tip and told me I'm not. You're not allowed to do that. Put it back. And was really angry with me. I could just, I- just given him a poker kit. I
1: can just imagine you skipping along with those those in hand. There's an episode of do you, do you watch this country? I've seen it. I'm aware of it. There's an episode of that where um oh what's the woman called in it? I can't remember her character. Daisy May Cooper, whether her character is in it. I can't, yeah, I can't yeah, remember. And, and she got a job at a tip and she was doing that where she was just taking everything and then got fired at the end of the episode because of that and it was it was lols. Yeah
0: the the technical reason i i'll probably call this but the technical reason for not being allowed to take things from the tip is that you don't have a a waste license because everything that enters the grounds Uh, of the tip is is then classed as waste i did not know that technically if you take something to the tip to throw away and you then don't throw away that thing you're kind of breaking the law in that you've taken away waste from the tip that you don't have a license to to carry that is, so that is genuinely that's, quite that's interesting. The technical Is it yeah. right there you go? The, I'll tell you why i tell you why I thought I could take it. There was a television show on a few years when when I did that, there was a television show on uh, where this lady would go to the tip, she would intervene when people were throwing away crap furniture, and she would say, Yeah, give me that furniture, I'll i I'll you know, I'll make it look nice and then we'll sell it and whatever money we get uh, you can have, and she'd take like a shitty, oh she'd take a crappy chest of drawers, she'd jazz it up, and she'd sell it for four hundred pounds. And I was like, "Well, she's allowed to take things from the tip, so I must oh, be allowed to take things from the tip." She's been filmed for TV; it's different. Yeah, outrageous! I should have got my phone out what, and been uh, like,
1: "What program was for this?" YouTube. It's a program about this woman. I can't remember. It was under, like a, a tip.
0: Mm-hmm. like Gotham. It was a daytime TV type uh, thing, you know. So yeah. Anyway. uh that was a side, side story. But it's It's sort of like a curse. It, I'd never thought about it in that way. But yeah, it kind of presents itself in that way. Certainly in these weird secret areas that you um, can navigate through. The final thing that I'm going to tell you about is, uh, again, it was just another moment where I went, ah, oh, this game's a bit different. This game's doing new things. This game, or not even new things, just doing things differently to the way that other games do it. But also... In particular with this one, it's kind of a sly nod towards its um, towards its parentage. Um, the bosses in Metroid, they're generally quite big. They're screen fillers. They they take up the whole, like a full half of the screen or something. They look quite formidable and um, and deadly. Right. The first two bosses in this game, they do a similar thing and they're on a similar scale. And then you get to this third boss and he's... Um, something else entirely because you you walk into the room then before the before the room fades in or, or as the room fades in the screen pulls right back out and your character goes from being so big to being to getting smaller and smaller and smaller and pardon me and then the boss loads in and he is absolutely enormous
1: that's really clever i like the idea of that as well the fact that again we, we talked about this already again we mentioned this in relation to this game the fact that you've been playing the game up to that point and it's this whole idea of what the way the camera's fixed and then suddenly the camera then pulls out that's
0: a really clever rug pull i like that a lot it is yeah and it, it, the game just keeps going this is a metroid game this is a metroid game this is a metroid game haha <laughs> no it's not it's it's great i I. I'm really I'm hoping that there's more and more of that as we go. Um this boss as well, though, I thought did something really, really smart, and I can't think of another, certainly Metroidvania that does it. It has instead of having a, a single weak point, it has several weak points. Those weak points are also its weapons. And and, and I should say, I should preface this as well. The previous bosses, they've been fairly standard affairs of there's the weak point, you know what it looks like, give it a shoot mm-hmm. give it a few shots and the boss turns red, gets faster, gets more aggressive. Uh, give it a few shots more, and the the boss is dead. This boss, it had several weak points. One of them, two of them, were these weird cannons at the very base of the boss. Then there was this weird, like horn shaped arm that shot lasers out, and and the laser would go would sweep up the screen. You had to hide behind things to stop it from uh, hitting you. And then seven, an array of seven, like fireball shooting things on its head so you had this very large creature that spanned the entire um height of the screen with weapons at the bottom weapons in the middle and weapons at the top and you had to platform your way to be able to shoot the ones at the top and then you had to hide from the laser as it was sweeping up while you were platforming and then you also had to take out these cannons at the bottom so you had to be at the bottom as well so the boss itself had three kind of strategies in order to defeat it it it, well it had 3 it had 3 weapons arrays yep. three different types of weapon the clever bit though that i think that's cool in itself yeah. like it's got these this variety to it but the the clever part of it was that every time you take out a set of weapons so if you take out the cannons at the bottom if you take those out the other the other two sets of weapons the laser and the fireball array will get stronger uh-huh. and they'll get faster uh-huh. So if you take out those two cannons, they get faster. If you go to the top of the head and you focus on taking out the fireball array, the cannons get more, get stronger and faster and more, more accurate and so on. If you take out the laser, the other two get stronger. And uh, I thought it was a really, it, it was a, it was unique and it was uh, surprising and challenging. I had to really think about what do I do. So I ended up taking one cannon out shooting the bottom cannon a few times so that it was ready to Mm. to die um then going up to the top of the head and focusing on the fireballs then once the fireballs were out of the way trying to take out the laser and leaving the last cannon till the very last thing that i did i i had to think about that as a strategy um before I actually executed it, which I thought was phenomenal.
1: So that word you just said was exactly what I was going to say, that it's adding elements of strategy into a boss fight. Usually boss fights yeah. in Metroidvanias are just uh, an element of, or it's, it's a war of attrition almost, or it's a, who can last the longest. They can be. Where, which is war of attrition. At the
0: very most, it's usually tactics, isn't it? Yeah, precisely. You precise know, though. like very short term thinking. He's He's got splash damage every time he hits the floor, therefore... I will just have to roll it whenever he looks like he's going to hit the floor. It's tactics rather than strategy. Whereas here, it's like you're going to have to think about how you're going to take this guy out. And I I was so impressed by that. That, in a nutshell, that's... I mean, I've experienced a lot more of the game since then. Uh, But that, in a nutshell, is the first few hours of Axiom Verge and the reasons that I think it's worth everybody's time. Because I really do. I think this is a groundbreaking yeah I, I you know I was going to back away from that because it feels a bit hyperbolic, but I think this is a groundbreaking and worthy title for everyone to enjoy. i think I think there are very few people that wouldn't get something good out of this. Great, and you're one of them. Yes,
1: I am well you you certainly uh, got me intrigued by it a lot more than I was before we started recording this what um what happened after this game? I believe there's a, a sequel came out.
0: Yeah, so I think the sequel. The sequel's fairly recent. I didn't look when that was. It might have been last year. It might have come out last year. And it was something that's, that actually refreshed me on, oh, hang on, there was that game that you wanted to play way back in 2015. So the sequel came back the sequel's on your out, and You still haven't played it. It did, yeah. Um, this game, though, Ax- the first game, has now put Axiom Verge 2 solidly on my to-buy-next list. It's... Um, it's it's pushed it right up the up the rankings and I'm very I'm very up for, for playing that even just next. Do you know straight after I played Axiom Verge.
1: Do you know much about the second game? Is it still just Tom Hap or is it a, a bigger operation?
0: I didn't look into that. Um, what I know is that you can play it in isolation. So you don't have to have played the first game. I, I've read very briefly. I've read that it's somewhere in between a sequel and a prequel. I don't really know how that works Okay. because that would, that sounds like concurrent to me. If it's not a sequel and it's not a prequel, some kind of interquel, I don't know. I is maybe how. but that's, that's about as much as I know. It looks as good. I mean, it looks really good
1: fab well thank you ashley for talking about that today it certainly sounds uh great and i hope that people found that useful to listen to and maybe put it on their radar as well
0: yeah me too that's that's really what i'm aiming for here really uh then he's not paying me no one's paying me i just think some games deserve to be played and this is one of them so go out and get it at the same time as you go out and buy this game or maybe after or maybe before i don't know you can also uh Give us a little follow. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Give us a share. All those things. I think that's that's the basis covered. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Come and, and say some hello of those to get us. More, some of them get more action than others. Um, so, yeah. Come find us. Thank you ever so much for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye.